God, put your hands together and worship. In fact, if he's a great God, stand up for a moment. If he's been good to you, just take a moment and thank him, bless him, worship him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He's truly a great God, great God, great God, great God, a great God. Come on, tell your neighbor, a great God, great God, great God, hallelujah. Glory. Come on, tell your neighbor, you're looking at a miracle. Come on, tell him, you're looking at me. He's a great God. I almost lost my mind, but God. I should have been a statistic, but God. Come on, hallelujah. Glory to God in the highest. You might have even thought of not coming in today because you didn't feel so well or it was too cold. But here you are today, hallelujah, a miracle, a miracle, a miracle. God is amazing, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We want to greet our family that's watching us on camera, too. Last week, I found out that in London, there were eight people sitting in front of a cam uh, big screen watching our service. So turn around, look at that camera, and just wave. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Hallelujah. We don't have any empty seats in this place. We have digital seats, electronic seats. They go through the sound waves. And that's why we're doing this thing of changing our sound system and upgrading our technology because we're expanding the reach of ministry into so many places. God is tremendously good. Was it cold today? Is it cold today? <laughs> I, got, I couldn't believe it. I had to check the weather a couple of times this morning because it was single digits without the wind chill. I mean, I just looked at it. And I don't know about you, but I broke into this imagination. I know I'm in New York. I know we have a week yet to go before springtime. I know that. I know, I know all of that, you know, but I broke into this moment of imagination. I started thinking of flip-flops. Not having to rush to get the coat, which coat? Have you thought about this morning? That's a blessing, by the way. Some people only have one coat. If they have one, if you have a choice, that's a blessing. And I said, which one do I, and then I, the scarf, do I take the scarf? And then some of you have scolded me so often already, I don't wear hats, so... Do I wear a hat? Don't I wear a hat? My hair, what's left? What do I do? But I broke into imagination, dreaming. I am, I'm, I'm a New Yorker in the sense that I've been here you know, just about all my life, but I'm not born here. I'm from the Caribbean. There's a snow over there. You know, so I went into this moment of you know, just flip-flops and maybe some shorts and thinking more about suntan lotion than hot chocolate. You know. Am I the only one? That's what I did, broken to. You know what, imagine if right now today the richest person in the world walked into this building, went right up to you and say, here, I have unlimited funds, money is not an issue, I'm giving you a blank check. Now you might think it, may, it might be the Mexican, right? Mr. Carlos Sims, who's considered to be the richest man in the world close to $100 billion net. Can you? I don't even think we can count that high. Or if you're into uh, uh, the Ministry of Therapeutic Shopping, the Walmart family is, you know the Walmart family is the largest, the Walton family, the, the richest family in the world. They're each, 
they're, they're, I think there's four of them. They're each, the net worth for each of them is over $20 billion. You know? I mean, you can't spend that. You, and I know what you're saying. Yeah, let me try. There's, even the interest on money like that, you can't even spend it. You can't even spend it. Yesterday I was watching the, the program, and Martha Stewart, you know Martha Stewart. She doesn't worship here, but you know Martha Stewart. <laughs> The, the, the person interviewer asked, asked her, uh, uh, put to her a hypothetical and said to her, Martha, if somebody right now gave you a million dollars and told you have six hours to spend it, and she interrupted the person and says, a million? That's like nothing. Can you imagine if they told you? Yeah. It's all about perspective. She said, man, you talk about billion, but a, a million? But imagine if somebody walked in here today and offered to give you, and they have unlimited resources, their checks will not bounce, and they offer to, here, here's a check, already signed, here's a pen, put whatever amount you want to. What will you do? And oftentimes, the first thing that comes to your mind is what gets you into trouble. Such is the story in the Bible. I want to talk to you for a few moments about Solomon. And in the book of the Second Chronicles, it's rendered there this exchange, this conversation that we often reference to that Solomon is having um, with God. And we see in there really the bearing of a heart. And what I'd like to do is when we leave here today, I want you to leave here with a, one or two ideas of how you can have your heart in the right place and perhaps approach the throne of, the throne of glory and power, uh, humble and contrite, rather than thinking about things. Where does God bless? And how you and I as mature believers uh, can begin to walk as, as mature believers and not get swayed here or there by the whims of life. I'm a car guy, so I have to admit to you that, you know, and I watch all the car shows on TV, and I've often said, wow, if I was rich, yes, I'd do all that stuff and give to the poor, all the stuff that we romanticize, I would definitely do that. But definitely, I would have a building three times the size of this building, an aircraft carrier hangar. <laughs> but you know, you've thought some of that too. I'm just sharing my heart. But let's look at the story a little bit closer under this theme of God wants to sign your blank check. I want to pick up the reading, and I'm reading from the message today. It's 2 Chronicles 1, 7 through 13. Let me read this, and then I want to just glean from here some ideas that I think will be helpful in our journey with the Lord. Look at the reading in 2 Chronicles 1, 7 through 13 in, in uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message. That night, God appeared to Solomon. God said, What do you want from me? Ask. Solomon answered, You were extravagantly generous with David, my father. And now you have made me king in his palace. Establish, underline that word, establish God the words you spoke to my father, for you've given me a staggering task, ruling this mob of people. Yes, give me wisdom and knowledge as I come and go among this people, for who on his own is capable of leading these, your glorious people? I like that, because he would say, these, your glorious people. Uh, interesting. Even when he uses the word earlier, mob, that's interesting, the, the, the connotation that emerges from that. And then God answered Solomon, 
this is what has come out of your heart. You didn't grasp for money, wealth, fame, and the doom of your enemies. You ever know people that pray, get them, God, get them? You didn't even ask for a long life. You asked for wisdom and knowledge so that you could govern well my people over whom I have made you king. I'm a Latino, and we grew up at home, and my mama, mama and my dad always used to tell us, make sure you take care of other people's stuff more than you do of your own. Right? So he understood here that these were not his people. These were God's people. Interesting stuff. Because of this, you get what you asked for, wisdom and knowledge. And I am presenting you the rest as a bonus, money, wealth, and fame, beyond anything the kings before or after you have had or will have. Then Solomon left the worship center in Gibeon and the tent of meeting and went to Jerusalem. He set to work as king of Israel. Let me share with you some ideas that come out of this mature relationship and conversation with God. And I say mature because of, it's interesting the way Solomon responds to God knowing what he knew about God. And God poses uh, to him this open-ended question, this open-ended opportunity. And I believe partially it was, a, it was partially a test of his heart of where his maturity level was. And Solomon came out in, in bright and shining colors, and he got a 4.0 and made this the, the great here. And God granted him his wish, but also gave him more than what he was asking for. And I like that about God. That when you ask him about service and blessing others, the Lord grants you that, but then he also adds on to that. The first thing that I find in this conversation is that Solomon genuinely acknowledged God's lavish generosity on others without any jealousy. If you note the text, he, he, he's saying, you know, you have extravagantly and generously blessed my father David. He realized that there was a, a divine provision in blessing someone else. Church, if we want to be able to get that, that blank check signed with whatever we're requesting from the Lord, let's start practicing today rejoicing in the blessings of others. They got promoted. Don't go, oh, yeah, but you don't know what I know. No, 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 no. They got the bigger house, but who knows what they did. No, 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 no. We need to get to a place where we celebrate the achievements of others. They just got here. What do you mean they're over there? What kind of chair do they have now? Where are they sitting? But they, we've got to be careful. And if we really want the provision of God and God's favor to look upon us individually, I have more preparation than them. I have more, more, more badges on my lapel than they do. It says here that David, when he's presented with this opportunity, he starts to make sure that he remembers and genuinely acknowledges that God lavishly blessed others. Church, we can't allow room in our minds and in our hearts for jealousy. It's going to kill us. It's going to destroy you. In marriage, you have to try and work at killing and choking this thing called jealousy. It might surface because how many people here are still alive and still in the flesh? Some of you are lying to yourself. <laughs> Right? So it's going to say, but we have to get to a place where we don't feed that. Whatever you feed will grow. And we have to make sure we attack that. And here, he, he understood that God is a benevolent God. 
And God blesses whomever he wants to bless. You know, and, and sometimes we say, yeah, but they'll get theirs. Don't even go there. It is better to leave it alone and leave it and trust God so much and love him so much and get so enveloped in worship and praising and serving him that whatever God does with other people, amen and praise the Lord. Gotten to a place in my journey where I realized as long as people come into the kingdom, let it happen the way it happens. As long as people get reached. And you say, yeah, but anyone doesn't think that way. That's okay, but it keeps me sane. <laughs> Thinking that way. He genuinely acknowledged God's lavish generosity over others without feeling jealousy. Neutralize the destructive forces of jealousy. Neutralize in your life the feelings oftentimes that come in where we think that God loves them more than he loves me. No. Go watch that movie. Go watch The Shack. Amen? He loves you. He's, he's crazy about you. You're his one and only. He wants to, he has blessings in store with your name on it. And oftentimes we think that the blessing and provision of God is corporate. It is. There is a moment like we had here just now where the church is moved and we worship and then worship moves heaven and God's presence comes and dwells here. And then we're able to bask in this moment of glory, all of us together. But I believe that there are also moments where the Lord comes to meet you personally. And individually. And I want us to get to a place where we realize that God is not out to get you. God is not out to make an example of you. If he wanted, he could, but he's not about that. He just wants to bless you and embrace you and lift you up and encourage you and let you be on his shoulder and love on you. That's what the Lord wants to do. In the Old Testament, but sometimes we think we're still living in the Old Testament thinking and theology and philosophy and worldview. In the Old Testament, if, if calamity came your way, people would say, you, what did you do wrong? Or maybe if it wasn't you, maybe it was your mom, your dad. Your, there was this generational curses that happened. That's no longer the case here, church. Life is life. And things happen around us. And poverty reaches us. And in fact, I will, I'm willing to push the issue that many of the things we're going through today are our own fault. Consequences of bad decisions that you made a year ago. Uh, but the Lord wants to bless and bless lavishly. God, that's the only way God knows how to do it. And let us not get jealous when someone else prospers. If they get a wonderful house, praise God. Amen. If they get a brand new car, praise God. If they get a brand new suit, they got their hair done, and they're praise the Lord. Amen. Get on the bandwagon and celebrate with them. There's enough negativity going around in mankind and in the world that we don't need it to be happening in the church either. If someplace else is growing, praise the Lord. If they preach better somewhere else, praise God. If they sing better somewhere else, amen. If they got a bigger apartment, hallelujah. If both their shoes work, amen. amen. They match their socks, praise the Lord. <laughs> Solomon understood and what positioned him to get this check signed, a blank check signed, is that he didn't allow, allow jealousy to come inside of him. He didn't allow this feeling of low self-esteem overwhelm him in such a way that it paralyzed him. He genuinely acknowledged God's lavish generosity to others. Number two, David also understood this concept of legacy and inheritance when he declared, and I told you to underline the word, establish the words you spoke to my father. And what he's saying there, and as we interpret the text correctly, he says, establish in me, let me be the steward of that that you spoke into my father, into the previous generations. And church, one thing that I want this church to always, and we do it, but I want to make sure that it stays alive in us. Today we're enjoying the blessings of God in this place. 
We have this wonderful sanctuary. We have a ministry that is moving forward, that is doing incredible things and, and, and wonderful exploits for God. But we didn't just get here. Behind us, there is a group of people, simple people, people that just believed the Lord, people that just knew how to pray. And maybe they didn't sing right, preach right, theologize right, philosophy, whatever it was, they didn't know, but they believed God. And their blood, sweat, and tears allowed us today, allows us today to have what we have. And the point here is, let us not forget where we come from. I've always made it a point in my life, as I've been leading this church, that we cannot forget our Spanish brethren, our Spanish congregation. You say, yeah, but they're getting old. You will too. Yeah, but they don't know. Obviously, you don't know too much either. And we need to honor them. I always marveled that people that did not have the education <laughs> that we have were able to accomplish what they accomplished. Mentioning in the morning service, I was talking to a, uh, an up-and-coming whippersnapper pastor that was going to uh, crush the head of the, of the devil and conquer the will and fill, and fill the biggest stadiums with an audience of people. That's what he had in his mind. And became very critical about those pioneers that came before us. And with their blood, sweat, and tears, and their difficulties, and their challenges. And finally, after trying to negotiate in a very diplomatic way with this young person who was filled with enthusiasm, and I wanted to go him down the right, go, have him go down the right track in order to do ministry, he wasn't letting me. So finally, I tell him, listen, young man, tell me, what have you built? What have you done? These people with no education went from storefront to owning cathedrals. These people went from not being able to sing, no music, no nothing, and all of a sudden they built, and we own buildings today simply because of their sacrifice. And David, a psalm is saying here in this text, he's saying, Lord, let me carry on the charge of the inheritance that I've gotten from my, brother, my, my father David. I understand the seriousness and the weight of that was bestowed upon him. Let me take it. Let me move it forward. I, want to, I don't want to say to the next level because that's hierarchical. Let me carry the weight of that, of that call, of that mandate. And church, if we want God to sign that blank check for what we need in our lives and what we want, we need to be about the business of recognizing and honoring those that have come before us, some of them who are still alive today. And when they speak, lower our heads and lower our voices and listen. Sometimes we think we know so much. I've hung around with people that have degrees here, degrees there, degrees everywhere. That they can, they can unwrap and unpack and, and lift in tents of authors and speak in the biblical languages and be able to baffle you with what they know. But God is not interested in what you know. God is interested in your character. God is interested that you live a life of integrity. That you're able to understand lineage and inheritance and those that have poured in. I've, I've interacted with people in this church and in others as well. People that along the journey I've been able to meet and, and they've impacted my life don't have the training, the formalized training. Some of them can't even read or write adequately to even read a scripture in front of here. In front of here. But there are people that they've gone through storms, through hurricanes. They've gone near death. They've prayed and God has answered. They have, they have uh, broken the stronghold of the enemy. They have conquered the difficulties in life. And those are the people that we need to celebrate and look at. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Dr. Doug Hall wrote this book, his whole missive, one of his uh, theological things that he, that he wrote. I remember studying under him and reading, and he came down to this conclusion that there are the, the two cultures, the primary culture and the secondary culture. And, and then forget about the technology, the, the, the technical parts of the, 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 what I'm saying, the idea. 
the primary culture, secondary culture. Primary culture is a culture where they don't even call you pastor, reverend, prophet, reverend, doctor, bishop, you know, in the Spanish church, you know what they call me? By my first name. And some of them even add the I, hijito, in the end, which is actually a term of endearment. They don't call me Marco, they call me Marquito. Term of endearment. But that is not lack of, some people in English call you that, but it's a put down. So it doesn't matter what comes out of here, it's what comes out of here. Are you following me? And primary cultures are cultures that, that you don't, they, they're not that, they, they celebrate your achievements academically, but they're not hooked up on that. They don't even say, I'm gonna call the pastor, I'm gonna call so and so, I'm gonna call Marquito. And you go there, and you can't get offended. That's the way. That's primary culture. Secondary culture is a culture that's very much in the American worldview. Secondary culture is the one that says, what's your resume? What seminary did you go to? What was your GPA? You tell that to a, someone from my primary culture people, they think that's a food. GPA? That's an ingredient they put in food. <laughs> but in, the, in, in, an, in an American culture, secondary culture, it's all about what diplomas you have on your wall. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. It, it all depends what captures your heart. Years ago in this church, we had someone visiting from another place. And in my view, my crazy, humanistic, fleshly view, they violated all the pro protocol that you should have when you're coming to a church, dressed incorrectly, in my opinion. You know, they came, all they did was greet and, and you've heard me tell the story before, and I'm sitting up here, used to have the organ up here, I'm sitting up here in the organ, and I'm saying, why is Bishop Cortez letting this person even talk here? I mean, look at them. In my mind, but I'm like, amazing grace. I'm confessing to you. you know, and sometimes we do that too. What can that person say to me? And I remember that service. The minute I thought that, I felt like this huge, gigantic hand come from the left side of me and slap me. I fell off the organ on top. We used to have an amplifier called, what was the name of it, Pastor Kiki? I forget the name of it. The big, yeah. I fell on top of that thing. And it wasn't that I fainted and I was slain in the spirit. I was rebuked by God. Sometimes you don't know how the voice of God is packaged. And just because someone declares to you something in King James Version might, might not be God. Hallelujah. God is interested in character. Not that, and here he understood the concept of legacy, inheritance. And he, declared, and he declared established. I like that word. That means put roots of what you did with my father. Put those roots inside of me. And let it blossom. And church, we need to be a, a people of legacy that understand that and celebrate and understand that concept. That there is this continuity that happens. That God has established. Because remember, and I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but remember that God is eternal. So God forces himself because of love to work in a temporal world, in a time-oriented world, but God is eternal. God does not have a beginning nor an end. The clock does not affect him because he just is. He's the same. He doesn't change. Doesn't all, is not altered. He just is present. There's only a present when it comes to God. So he's squeezing himself into the clock, into time, simply because he loves you and me. But in, in God's realm, in God's existence, in God's not, not existence because that connotes that he doesn't have existence, in God who he is, in his cosmic self, continuity is important. Continuity is important. Oh, I can unpack that so much further. When Jesus was here and he's ministering on earth and now he's leaving, he says, in John, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm going to send the comforter. 
So Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, but the one that is with us is the Holy Spirit. Continuity. Even when he calls us into our eternal dwelling, what does he say? I pray that you will be, we will be one and that you will be with me as I am in the Father. Continuity. And church, we need to think about those things when it comes to the blank check that God presents to us. And I love it about Solomon. He understood the concept of legacy. Establish the words you spoke to my father. Number three, I, and I love this part. If you're gonna, if, if those leaders that are in here, learn this. He says here, it says in the text that he, he, he was declaring to God, make me capable of the assignment. Yes. These are your people. Make me capable to do good by you. It's not, I got this. I'm going to fix this, this, this. I got, I got it because I'm good. Is Lord, make me capable. I like that. That means equip me. That means give me the resources. That means plop me on the potter's wheel. Let the potter's wheel spin and take away from me those things that will hinder me being effective. We sometimes get baffled by people that can speak well. It doesn't matter. What God is after is the heart. Sometimes we have people, and, and I marvel. One time I, I was listening to Nikki Cruz preach. Nikki Cruz can't speak English at all. If he, if he was taking your English class, you would give him an F. But he spoke in his horrible English. Now he's better, but before he was worse. This is the truth. And he made the altar call that made any evangelist jealous because of the anointing and grace over his life. Are you following me? So it isn't eloquence of word. It isn't the, 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 the wonderful shirt I Thank you for the compliments. None of that. He says, Lord, I want to depend. And you know, think about it. Here Solomon had resources, had things available to him to make him super great. But he knew to carry out God's task. Listen to me closely. God's task. Listen to me closely. God's task. Listen to me closely. God's task. I need to depend on you. And church, we need to get to that place where in spite and, and, and aside from all of our achievements and capabilities and things that people say that we can do or even that we convince ourselves that we can do, it's about going to that altar of brokenness and saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. I can't lead without you, Lord. I can't, I can't do a good job in this area unless I connect with you. Let me give you a piece of advice. Maybe it's better to not listen to what people are saying. Maybe it's better. Oh, you preached well. Ask them what you said. Oh, I don't know, but it was good. <laughs> and even if they can remember what you said, if it did not transform them, oh, come on. Hallelujah. I mean, receive it. Receive the, what people are saying. But make sure you connect with God and say, Lord, what are you? You know, church, look, we have a, a vibrant ministry here. A lot of people connected to us. People, it's amazing. It's amazing. And my, my most, not my most challenging times, but the most productive times for me is when I'm there, me and God. What do you want me to do? Give me the resources. Give me the idea. Open the way. Just give me a word. Give me an inkling. Give me a, a prompting, a wooing, something. Tell me what do I need to do. It's not about the next meeting and bringing the next advisor and the next person. People that know. There's people that know. We have to make sure that we know what God wants us to know. And that we move according to what he is saying. And that requires leaders that are here. That requires you may have to stand by yourself. Or it appears that you are. 
because the team said this, the assessment group said that. The, 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 the mode right now, everybody in churches is, are doing this. Wonderful, that's great. But what's good for this house? What's good for us? Just because every family, or taking it to your home, just because every family is doing whatever doesn't mean that you do it with your family. You have to see what is the right thing to do for you. And he's saying here, Lord, I'm depending upon your church. I want to tell you very clearly, depend upon the Lord. Yes, go to therapy. Go to the counseling. Take the medication. See the professionals, all that. But start and end your situation trusting and depending upon God. Trusting and depending upon God. I'm big on education. Get your training. Get your education. Get the diplomas. Put them up on the screen. All that stuff. Uh, get your wonderful business cards. All of that. That's great. That's wonderful. That's the way we operate and function when it comes to not just ministry but in business. But at the beginning of the end of the day, make sure you cry out to God and say, Lord, make me capable. Just about every morning when I get up in the morning, not every morning, but just about every morning when I remember, I'll tell the Lord, Lord, help me to honor you this day. Now, I have the calendar already done for that day, but Lord, this day that I might honor you. Walking into a meeting, Lord, make me effective for this conversation. I know what I have in mind to do, but help me to showcase what you want to do. Lord, I'm going into a counseling session with somebody and talk to them. I already have in my mind, but Lord, guide me. And don't go saying, I got this diploma. Get the diploma. I have this degree. Get the degree. I have this recognition. Get it. That's wonderful. But if you're going to rely on anything for being effective, if you're going to rely on anything for being prosperous, listen to me closely. It's not about how long you've been a member here or how many whatever you've done and how many hoops you've gone through. God is looking at your heart right now and say, Lord, equip me for this thing right now that I need to do. Come on, praise the Lord with me for a moment. He says to the Lord, Lord, make me dependable. Make me capable of this assignment. Help me, Lord, that I may do what you want me to do. Hallelujah. Fourth observation that I have. The first one was he genuinely acknowledged God's lavish generosity to others without being jealous. He understood the concept of legacy and inheritance when he declared, established the words, you spoke to my father. Uh, the third was depending upon God, make me capable of the assignment. The fourth one is powerful, and it comes out right out of the text. And that's that, Lord, he, uh, Solomon embraced stewardship. Stewardship is different than owning. Ownership is not the same thing. Stewardship means that I'm managing the resources for someone else, and I'm going to give account to him or her for what I am doing. It's having the weight on your shoulders of the task at hand, and you have before you the ability, the authority to decide. But at the end of the day, you have to give account to someone. That's stewardship. We have to get that in our minds. We don't, and I know I inculcate that in me. I don't own anything. Everything that I have is because of God's grace and favor. And you say, you're just saying that. No, no, I really believe that. I really, really believe that. This is not my church. This is not my ministry. This is not my pulpit. You got it? And we have to understand that God is the one that, that is in control and, 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 and possesses everything. We need to strive to become good stewards. So when I first became a church van driver in this church, I understood that I was doing it as unto God. So there was no way that I could drive that van other than excellence. Close your ears to complaining and drive. When I taught Roy Rangers, and you know, I've been through the ranks here, right? 
Whatever was before me to do, I realized that I didn't own that thing. And now this is a little bit dichotomy here. There's a, there's a, a bit of tension on this because to a sense, to a degree, you do have ownership of responsibility, but at the end of the day, it does not belong to you. So you don't, None of you belong to me. I don't own anyone here. No one. No one. Belong to God. But I have a responsibility before the Lord to be a good steward. You don't own the call of God over your life or the plans that God. You don't own your children. You don't own your future, your career. You don't own it. That's simply God lavishly blessing you. You don't own your car. You don't own your car, so make sure you give me the keys afterwards because it belongs to me. Give it to me. You don't own it. You, God is just making you a steward. And a steward is someone that manages, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit further now, manages what you have before you, makes decisions, authoritative, commanding decisions about that, knowing that you're going to give account. That's the key. Knowing, because everyone, listen to me closely, everyone will ultimately give account to God for everything. In your life. Everyone. And when you talk about stewardship, it has to be, and you've heard me teach it, so I'm going to go real quickly on this. Stewardship has to be divided into three things. And that is, we, we need to be stewards of our talents, our abilities. God gives us giftings and abilities for, in Corinthians, we find that teaching as the Holy Spirit would, would grant gifts and, and abilities to people, but you need to be a steward of that. You need to be a steward of that. If I'm going to uh, uh, use my talents, and if you're going to go to school, uh, you know, what's going to happen is you, you have to just uh, manage your time, which is the other one, it's, it's talents, times, and treasure. Manage your time so that you can accomplish that. And stop complaining. If you're sleeping 10 or 12 hours a day, you're never going to get that degree. You're not going to get up in the morning for a 9 o'clock appointment because you can't get up. Can't they make the appointments at midnight? No, they're making them at 9. And until you become the boss of the universe, you have to get up at 9. That's managing. You can complain and everything. Be upset, get an attitude, and be moody. But the moment you walk into that interview, <gasps> rainbows and butterflies change your attitude. You manage that. I manage that. Anything in life that you want to accomplish, sometimes you just have to sleep less in order to do those things that are part of your life to do. I gave it an illustration early this, in the morning service. I want to give it today. Years ago, years, years ago, Pastor E and I, our boys were small, and we were blessed from a smaller apartment to a larger apartment. And so uh, we needed to move. We put the call out for some help to move, and nobody showed up. I had a 500-pound organ sitting in my living room that we needed to get it out and put it upstairs. And it was just me and her. The kids, the kids went to sleep. So what? We looked at each other. Got to do it. Because we had to be out because of time clicking for the, right? So, and at that point, the elevators were in odds and evens. So we needed to go to the lobby, move around, come up to the right floor. But the blessing was so overwhelming. And we were so much in love with each other and our family. So we don't sleep. We got up the next day with pain here, pain there, pain everywhere. <laughs> but you do what you have to do. And listen, I'm going to push this further. And I really, and stop depending on someone else to do it for you. The clock, and don't listen to the excuses today. They've been announcing on every single news media that, the, and not only that, the clock always, the time always changes at the same time every year. So don't come now, Pastor, I was going to make it, but never mind, but, is that you should have put the clock or not slept. <laughs> you say, is that too cruel? Well, if it's important to you, if it's important to you, we were here this morning, and 
I would, Pastor Carmen was, we were celebrating. I walk into the service this morning. Now that in the Spanish congregation, the women are getting together for prayer. Once a month on Sunday mornings, they're getting together a half hour for prayer. There were like 30 or 40, 35 last Sunday here. What happened this morning? Change of time. Who was up here? It wasn't it? But it was important to them. And they were here praying. You'll all, what is important to you, you will work at growing. And I just want to encourage you today. Be a steward of your time. Don't say that the clock ran, whatever. Just get up earlier the next time. Oh, but I got to sleep. Sleep on the weekend. But I'm busy on the weekend. Stop being busy. <laughs> if it's important. When I was teaching in seminary, a student one time came up to me and said, is there something you could do here? Because, you know, I just haven't had time to read the book and do the... And I'm listening very attentively. And I felt insulted. Because I don't have anything honorary. I had to work for all my stuff. And then the person, the class that was there, I even told the person, why don't we ask the rest of the class? Because they kept insisting. I said, let's ask the rest of the class if it's all right that I cut you some slack because you didn't read the book. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. We can, can we work something out? I said, no, we can't work something out. Because if it's that important, it's that important. Are you fine? And you say, well, he's so mean. No, I'm not mean. It's just we have to be stewards of our time. We just have to do what we need to do to make things happen and stop the complaining about others. That's being a steward, our talent. We need to take ownership of our talent and, and, talent and grow our talents. I'm still, I, this, June, this May will be 40 years that I'm in pastoral ministry, and I'm still reading books on pastoral theology. I'm still reading books. And some of the people that are writing them, I know them, some of them already. Why? Because you have to perfect your gift. You have to work at it. When I used to play the piano and be the music director here, I used to play two or three hours every single day, every single day. I don't do it any longer. Now in my house, I just look at the piano. Wow, that's a nice piano, but I don't even touch it. <laughs> you following me? Stewards, that means that we dedicate our times to, and then our treasure. Our treasure. And I'll go only this very short, very briefly, because some of you, you know, I want you to stay with me. <laughs> our treasure. You got into debt, work at getting out. There are no shortcuts. You got a tithe. There is a blessing to the tither. I'm sorry, I didn't write the book. I didn't write it, so I don't take responsibility for it. And in Malachi, it says that there's a blessing for the tither. That's what it says. And you know what? Blessing, because God blesses lavishly. He says that I will open from heaven and pour out blessings until you cannot contain it to the tither. And then it goes on to say that he's going to take care of the devourer. It's another thing. You know, you just got to manage your resources. And I can ask the tithers right here, those that have been blessed beyond measure, because since you've been tithing, and I know people will get up and start to testify, you just got to trust God at his word. I've often said, and I'll repeat it again, try it for six months. If it doesn't work out, don't ever tithe again. Because he's a liar. The Bible's a lie. It's not true. Try it for six months. You have to manage your resources. Manage, you have to be a, a good steward of your finances. And make sure that you do it as unto the Lord. Got real quiet in here. Let me get off the subject of money. So we have to be stupid. We need to embrace stewardship. He says, give me this talents for what reason? So that I can lead your people. Spiritual leadership is not about ownership, but about stewardship. Look at my fifth and final observation, and then I'll close. Fifth observation is that he went past, and we need to do this. We need to go Past just believing great things. Church, if I repeat things, that means it's important. And I said this last week, and we heard it at the leadership intensive. So it's important. 
We need to go beyond just believing in great, great things to attempting to do great things. It is not just about believing. It's about doing. Note the text. Note the text. Note the text. Verse 13 says the following. He says, Then Solomon left the worship center in Gibeon and the tent of meeting and went to Jerusalem. And then it says, it says, he set to work as king. Church, we need to get beyond the rhetoric of I'm going to and I'm going to and we need to just do. We need, there needs to be a level of commitment to the words that we're expressing. And we just need to do. Ministry is not just about knowing and not just about believing. But God equipping us so that we can carry on the work of ministry. The last Sunday of this month, we're going to do our vision casting service. I'll pre-announce it now. Right, that's not next, next Sunday is the Women uh, Day celebration. And then the following one, the, the last Sunday, we're going to talk about vision. And in the vision, we're going to give you information, but it's more about how you can fit into what we do here. If the light stays here, you know what happens if the light stays in here? We all get sunburned. The light needs to go out. And how is it going to go out? Through each one of us. And we need to become uh, agents of change. Agents of change. Not just knowing the truth, but knowing that the truth will set people free and start talking to them about it. And letting them know about the Lord. And guiding them to paths of righteousness and inviting them in. And say, you need to listen and you need to hear. So it isn't just about uh, believing in great things, but attempting to do great things as the Lord would equip us. God granted the desires of Solomon's heart, and he gave him more. He didn't add, the text says that he didn't ask for things. He asked for wisdom to lead God's people. And God gave him that plus more. And the Bible history tells us that he was one of the most blessed, lavishly blessed men in possession and things than anyone in the written word. That's who he was, because he asked for things that will help him be better in doing the bidding of God. I submit to you today that what we need to do is, how can I bless people? How can I bless others? How can I uh, ask of the Lord? I, wanna, I want to fill out this check, but Lord, help me to be more effective in what I do. I guarantee you, church, that when we do that, the Lord will grant us that, but he will also bless us in other areas. In other areas. You'll not ask for that apartment, but because you're serving the Lord and asking for wisdom to do that, he's going to give you that. You're not asking for a husband with those kind of criteria, but because you're honoring the Lord, God is blessing the singles with what you're asking, but also blessing you with the periphery as well. I believe that if we do that right, that check will be signed by God. We will be able to do incredible exploits. We don't have to defend ourselves with anyone. We don't have to showcase uh, uh, truth to anyone. God will exhibit our justice like the noonday sun, like it says in the Psalms. He will take care of all of that. If you can just make me, Lord, a faithful servant to you. God wants to sign your check, that blank check. In fact, he wants to do it right now. 